You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Let's look at Exodus chapter number 1. The Bible says in verse 1, Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. Boy, that had been a good generation to be a part of. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pythom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And by the way, I'm glad that principle is carried over to the book of Acts as well. You don't snuff out the people of God by trying to snuff them out. What you do is when you try to snuff out the fire, you just spread sparks everywhere. Persecution has never been the enemy of the church. Persecution has been the fertilizer of the church. It's helped it to grow. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were exceeding, or rather they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. One more verse, verse 14. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. For a generation or more, for a season, Israel has been blessed in a pagan place among pagan people. They enjoyed the goodness of God, the favor of God in a pagan place among pagan people. In the land of Egypt, God was good to his children. In the beginning of the chapter, we find all of that evidence, and it mentions it in verse 7. They increased abundantly. They were fruitful. They multiplied. They were exceeding mighty. That's good stuff. Well, that'd be a, that'd be a good day to live as a, as a Jew. That'd be a good day to be part of the family of God, even in Egypt. But by the second half or the bottom end of the chapter, everything changes from blessing to burden, from joy to sorrow, from liberty to hard bondage. There was a generation, a great generation, men who walked with God and knew God and those who rubbed elbows with those who knew God, Joseph's generation. That generation drifted off the scene. They died. And the Bible said in verse number 8, another king, and I like the fact the Bible doesn't waste any ink mentioning the name of the Egyptian king because the pagan ruler doesn't matter as much as Joseph does. But a new king rose up over Egypt, and he did not know who Joseph was. He'd never heard of Joseph. He'd never been taught about Joseph. The people of God obviously had not testified to him about Joseph. had no recollection at all. Who is Joseph? And because of that, the situation changed from liberty to bondage. From blessing to, to, to sorrow, the joy was gone, revival gone, 
because this king didn't know who Joseph was. Somewhere along the line, and I don't have anything good to represent this, so I found something best to represent this. I have a West Virginia University football. If nothing else, we're going to get Bible truth tonight. This is going to represent the truth. How about the three of you fellows come on up here and help me? Let's just get the three ugliest fellows in church. All right, good. Come on up here and help me. Here's apparently what happened, just to illustrate. Well, in, in fact, if you don't mind helping me, Pastor, if you would help me, because this is perfect. This is, this, this is the generation that knew Joseph. This is the generation that walks with God and prays and they believed the King James Bible and they went soul winning and they ran buses and they built ministries and God sent revival in their day. And thank God he passed it down to another generation. He's got that now. He's got the truth. I mean, revival and prayer and the Bible, the Bible is the word of God and he has that. And he passed it down to another generation. And because of that, this generation was blessed. That generation was blessed. And this generation has it and they're blessed. But apparently somewhere along the line, they dropped it. In that generation. Let the truth fall in the street. And it didn't make it to his generation. And while that generation was favored and blessed, and this generation was blessed, and that generation even got the blessing of God, they failed to pass what they'd been given onto another one. And that generation was put in bondage. And that generation suffered greatly. And that generation was under a pagan king that didn't even know who Joseph was because they quit preaching about him somewhere along the way. They quit testifying of him. They quit singing about him. And because of that, a generation rose up, didn't know Joseph, and their leadership didn't either. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. Not in my generation. Amen. Not in our generation. We ought not let that truth fall in our generation. If nothing else, in this year, maybe the last year we have on earth before Jesus comes, we're going to commit to keeping that truth, passing it on, keeping it alive for another generation. I'm going to pray. You fellas can go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts tonight. I pray that you'd help us see this truth, to get a hold of this truth, and help our church to commit for another year just to keep passing it on. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The book of Exodus is a book about leaving behind and moving on. It's a book about bringing out and leading through. It's a story that's concerned with both a nation and with individuals. And let me say the same thing is true about our God. He's concerned with nations, but he's also a God of the individual. You'll find that in verse number one, in fact, the text begins. Now, these are the names. It's interesting in your Bible, God mentions more things about names, more verses about names than he does about the creation of the world. You know how that is? God's more concerned about people than he is the planet. Say amen right there. He's more worried about souls than he is the solar system. There are several things that we can apply to our life by studying the book of Exodus in whole. The first is this, lost mankind is like a slave in hard bondage to a cruel taskmaster. Man in his lost condition is an absolute slave to his sin. His life is hard. The taskmaster of sin is a cruel taskmaster. The second application we can make is only God can set that slave free. You'll find that in the book of Exodus, there is no other means for the people of God to leave captivity and head toward Canaan land other than God is setting them free. The same thing's true in the spiritual life of that lost individual. There is nothing that can get a lost man out of his lost condition other than God and God alone. He can't work his way out. He can't pay his way out. He can't pry his way out. Only God can set the captive to sin free. The third application is this. God 
God will call a man to preach his emancipation proclamation to those who are in bondage to sin. Thank God in our book, God gives a Moses to lead his people forward. And I'm glad God always in every generation has a man that'll stand and preach the truth of God to those who are enslaved to their sin. The next truth we can apply is this. The only way to be set free is by the blood. It was the blood that got the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that sets a man or a woman free from their sin. The last truth we can apply is this. Once you've been set free and brought out by the blood, you're supposed to go on and live in Canaan land. Canaan land is a type of the spirit-filled Christian life. God doesn't want you not to get saved and stagnate spiritually, but he wants us to get saved, surrender to the will of God, submit to the Holy Spirit, grow in grace, and become more like Jesus Christ every day on the journey. So the book of Exodus gives us a good overview, if you will, of the Christian life. In Exodus chapter 1, we find God's people in the land of Egypt. For a generation or so, Israel has enjoyed the blessings of God even in Egypt. I said it a minute ago, in a pagan place, among pagan people, God was still mighty good to his children. You'll study the text and find that even in Egypt, God's people were fruitful, God's people multiplied, and God's people were mighty. I think we could say it like this. For a generation, God's people prospered. For a generation, families were prospered. Babies were born. Their tables were filled with food. Their businesses thrived. Their agriculture flourished. Their nation had the grace of God, even in Egypt, shed abroad upon it. In fact, in verse 7, we find the commentary of the condition of Israel in Egypt. It says that they increased abundantly. They were fruitful. They multiplied. They were exceeding mighty. The land was filled with them. What a a day that would have been to be an Israelite. What a great day it would have been to have been a Jew in Egypt. What a day that would have been to have been a Hebrew, a child of God, even there in Egypt land. They were blessed. I'm talking about there was a turkey in every oven. There was a car in every driveway. I mean, they lived it up. They had it made in the shade, like R.G. Lee would say, drinking lemonade. I mean, everything was touched and blessed by the hand of God, even in Egypt. They had days of grace, days of favor, days of abundance, days of blessing, days of increase, days of peace, days of revival, days of joy in a pagan place among pagan people. They enjoyed the good things of God. I began to study that and I think the key is wrapped up in a name. The reason they found grace, the reason they had favor, the reason they had mercy, the the reason everything was so blessed and abundant is because of the name Joseph. What a lovely name the name of Joseph must have been to the Hebrew people. They were fruitful because of Joseph. They increased because of Joseph. They multiplied because of Joseph. They were mighty because of Joseph. It was Joseph that fed them in the famine. It was Joseph that uh, advocated for them and found favor with 
Pharaoh. It was Joseph that purchased a place for them to dwell with him there in Egypt land. It was Joseph that had offered forgiveness to his brethren that had cast him out and said, we don't want anything to do with you. It was Joseph who rose to the right hand of Pharaoh and gave his people place in that land of Egypt. When nobody else had bread, Joseph did. When nobody else could see him through, Joseph did. When nobody could provide a place, Joseph did. And Joseph was the key to those people being blessed. Now apparently there was a generation that thought a lot about Joseph. They made it a point to make sure the name of Joseph was lifted up. They wanted to make sure that their children knew Joseph and their grandchildren knew Joseph and that their families knew Joseph. I'm talking about for generations that good news of Joseph was preached and it was sung about and it was testified of and Joseph was made much of even in Egypt. It was told in every home. It was echoed in every street. It was the topic of every conversation. It was the subject of their praise and because of that they were blessed and they were benefited even in Egypt. Those Hebrews might not have known a lot about sports but they knew a lot about Joseph. They might not have known a lot about the stock market but they knew a lot about Joseph. They might not have talked a lot of politics but they talked a lot of Joseph and because of that the nation was blessed even in the land of Egypt. I can see it in my mind as a mother would grab her daughter and say, come here and sit on my knee. I want to tell you about a man named Joseph. I want to tell you about a man unlike any other man. I want to tell you about a man who did for us what nobody else could do for us. Joseph's the one who gave us bread. Joseph's the one who gave us a place to live. Don't you ever forget about it. Joseph's been good in our life. Everything we have is because of Joseph. I can see a daddy getting his son and saying, son, sit on my knee. And he put him on his knee and said, now I want to tell you something. The food on your table came from Joseph. The shoes on your feet came from Joseph. The clothes on your back is because of Joseph. The peace that we enjoy is because of Joseph. The prosperity that we have is because of Joseph. Don't you forget about Joseph. Don't you ever forget that name. I want you to remember this man. We're here because of him. I can see a grandfather getting his grandchildren or a grandmother getting her grandchildren and say let's sing a song about Joseph. Let me tell you a story about Joseph. There's no one like him. Everything that we have is because of Joseph. Now, you know the typology, probably the greatest type of Christ in the Old Testament is Joseph. And I can see it in my mind as they would say, gather around, children. I want to tell you about Joseph. I want to tell you about Joseph. I want you to understand something about Joseph. Joseph is a miracle child. I want you to remember that truth. He was born a, a, a miracle. Nobody was ever born like Joseph was born. Don't forget that. I want you to catch that and pass it on. I want you to have that truth. Joseph had a miraculous birth. Don't ever forget it. And they'd pass it on. Don't forget it. Joseph was born unlike anybody else was ever born. And they'd tell their children. They say Joseph was the most beloved son of his father. Don't forget that. The most beloved son of his father. It's important to remember all the food on our tables here because of Joseph. All the shoes we enjoy on our feet because of Joseph. The prosperity because of Joseph. Nobody ever born like he was born. The most beloved son of his father. Don't forget that truth. I've got another truth for you. Don't forget this truth, Brother Nikolai. Don't forget it. He came to his brethren and his brethren rejected him. They received him not. They hated Joseph because the father loved him so. They despised 
despised him, rejected him. In fact, one day Joseph went to his brethren and they cast him into a pit. Don't forget that Joseph went down into a pit. They took his coat of many colors, that coat that his father blessed him with, that robe that he'd wrapped his son in, and they tore it to shreds and put the blood of one of the kids of the flock on it and told their daddy that Joseph is dead. Don't forget that. Joseph was the most beloved of his father. Joseph had a miraculous birth. Joseph was despised and rejected of his brethren. Joseph was put down in a pit, but I've got some more truth. Joseph didn't stay in the pit. Joseph came up out of the pit. Not too long after, Joseph was sold into slavery, and he went there into Egypt land. He went into a far country. Now don't forget it. All the food on our table, it's because our country, our nation, our leadership knows who Joseph is. It's because our families know who Joseph is. We've been blessed and prospered here because everybody knows who Joseph is. Don't forget the truth. When Joseph was there in that far country, he was placed in prison. He was there for three years. After three years, he got out and he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. Because of that, he rose to the right hand of Pharaoh. He's the second most powerful man in Egypt. Can you imagine that, Brother Lord? I mean, there's Joseph, this Hebrew, and now he's standing right there by the right hand of Pharaoh. Don't forget it. Joseph is at the right hand of Pharaoh. He's in a position of power. He's taking him a Gentile bride while he's out there in Egypt land. Don't forget the truth. Pass it on to another generation. Make much of Joseph and who he is. See it now? As there's a famine there in Canaan land, they don't have any bread. The only way they can get bread is to go to Egypt. Joseph stored up grain and because of that, Joseph's brethren that had despised and rejected him, they have to go to Joseph to get their bread. Joseph's a man of grace and mercy. He gives them what they came for. Don't forget that Joseph supplies the needs of his brethren even though they've mistreated him and done him wrong. Can you see it as Joseph provides their need? Pass it down. Tell your children. Tell your grandchildren who Joseph is. He's been good in our life. I can see it as one day Joseph reveals himself to his brethren. Can you imagine that? And he stands there before him and said, I'm Joseph. And I can see the older generation telling the younger generation, he forgave them of everything they did. They lied about him. They cast him into the pit. All those years, Jacob thought Joseph was dead and Joseph wasn't bitter. Joseph wasn't angry. But Joseph extended grace and forgave his brethren. Amen. Not only that, he said, where I am, I want you to be there also. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and tell Daddy that I'm not dead. I'm alive, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. While you're traveling that way, I'm going to work this way, and I'm going to make sure that when you get back, there's a place that you can dwell where I am, and we can be together. And I can see generation after generation taking that truth and passing it on. And because of that, they had revival. And because of that, they had joy. And because of that, there was prosperity. And because of that, they were blessed, even in a pagan place among pagan people. I can see the story of Joseph unfolding as the Bible says that every shepherd's an abomination to an Egyptian and Jacob was a shepherd and all of the brethren were shepherds. That means they were literally like sin in the mind of Pharaoh and yet we find Jacob and those boys given a place among Pharaoh. Why? Because Joseph went on their behalf and advocated for them. Can you imagine the story as it would ring out around dinner tables and in homes that Joseph has done all of these things for us and they passed it on and they passed it on and they passed it on and because of that they were blessed but if you go deeper in the chapter they trade out 
the exceeding mighty, the abundance, the increased uh, abundantly, the multiplication, all of these things for taskmasters, affliction, bondage, burden, rigor. Down in the further part of the chapter, they institute abortion even after birth and kill their babies. And can you see Israel now? They're not blessed. Man, they're burdened. I want you to think about it with me. Their backs are bleeding now. Their ankles are in chains right now. Their hands are calloused and bruised now. Their bodies are muddy from the brickyards of Egypt. Now they're slaves and they're scared and they're full of sorrow. And you ask yourself, how in the world could that have happened? How could they go from that height to that depth? What was the key or what was the pivot point? And I think the pivot point is found in verse number 8 where the Bible says there's a new king all of a sudden. They had an election. They had a new appointment. This new king took power in Egypt. And the issue is this, not what party he was affiliated with. The fact is this, he had no... No idea who Joseph was. So here's what happened. Somewhere along the way, somehow, someone dropped the ball. Somebody let the truth fall. Some daddy quit preaching about Joseph to his, his boy. Some mama quit preaching about Joseph to her daughter. Some grandpa quit talking about Joseph to his grandkids. Some church quit emphasizing Joseph to their community. And by and by, there's a generation that rose up. They knew more about play than they knew about Joseph. They they knew more about uh, the internet than they knew about Joseph. They knew, knew more. They knew more about sports than they knew about Joseph. They knew all about finance, but they didn't know about Joseph. And the children didn't get taught about Joseph. And the young couples didn't sing and preach about Joseph. And all of a sudden, it trickled up to the leadership in Egypt, and a king arose that had never even heard the name of Joseph. I don't know what happened. All I know is somewhere, somehow, someone in that generation that followed dropped the ball and failed the next generation. We're here doing tonight what we're doing because of a former generation. Everything that we're doing tonight is because of a former generation. There is a generation before us that took what the generation before them gave them. They preserved it in their day, and then they passed it on for us in our day. We have what we have because somebody gave it to us. We have a local church today because somebody has preserved it and passed it down to us. We have a King James Bible because somebody has passed it down to us. We have songs, hymns, spiritual songs because somebody has passed it down to us. We have confrontational soul winning, not lifestyle evangelism because somebody has passed it down to us. We have dress standards and separation from this world because somebody has passed it down to us. There was a generation before and a generation before that that did not drop the ball in their day. And because of that, we've enjoyed prosperity and we've enjoyed blessing and we've kind of had it easy in our generation. But here's the message tonight. I want somebody to declare, it's not going to happen in our generation. It might happen in another, but by the grace of God, the ball won't drop in my generation. I might not can do what somebody else can do, but I can keep preaching about Jesus in my generation. You see, we got a story to tell that's much better than the gospel of Joseph. We got the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're very similar. He had a miraculous birth. Most beloved son of his father, wrapped in righteousness, despised by his brethren, thrown down in a pit. But he came out three days later. He went into a far country. He's at the right hand of the father. He's preparing a place for us and taking a Gentile bride. And I tell you why America's been blessed and why America's been prosperous and why we've had some joy and revival in our day. It's because there's been some preachers and there's been some parents and there's been some grandparents and there's been some 
some young people that cleared off a spot and got excited, not about a football, not about a game, but about the fact they're not going to hell and they've made much of Jesus and they've sung about Jesus and they've preached about Jesus and they testified of Jesus and they praised Jesus and they lifted up the name of Jesus and we've been blessed. I thank God for the great awakening. I'm glad George Whitfield preached about Jesus. I'm glad Jonathan Edwards preached about Jesus. I'm glad later D.O. Moody and R.A. Torrey preached about Jesus. I'm glad Billy Sunday and Chapman preached about Jesus. I'm glad J. Frank Norris preached about Jesus. I'm glad Lester Roloff preached about Jesus. I'm glad Tom Malone preached about Jesus. I'm glad B.R. Lakin preached about Jesus. I'm glad. I'm glad Oliver e. Green preached about Jesus. But can I say tonight that their bodies are decomposing in the dirt. Thank God they're in heaven. But their bodies in the ground. They're dead and gone. Somebody's going to have to resolve in my generation. I'll be a voice for Jesus. I'll be a signboard for Jesus. I'll be an advertisement for Jesus. I'll be one who'll lift up the name of Jesus in my generation. I fear we're already seeing it. I fear we're already seeing the effects of a generation that is dangerously close to not even knowing who Jesus is. That is the only way to explain what we see. We had lunch today. I'll tell you what aggravates me more than anything else is a liberal preacher that gets upset at liberal politicians. A liberal preacher does more to kill America every day gets in a pulpit than a liberal politician on a stump. Amen. They get mad because they blur the gender lines at Target and they let it be blurred in their choir. Say amen right there. Happy New Year. <laughs> How in the world does a nation go from where America's been to where America is unless it's the fact that we haven't been talking much about Jesus? I'm all for your philosophy and I'm all for talking politics during an election cycle, but not one of those things that will keep anybody out of hell. But I tell you what, Will, there's a name above all others. What a lovely name. Amen. The name of Jesus Christ. I tell you why we're where we're at. How in the world can a young man think that he's a young lady? I tell you why. There's no Jesus in that home. That's how that happens. How in the world is it that we think that it's okay to butcher a baby in the womb of its mother and if it somehow survives the attempted murder of the baby in the womb, once it's on the table, we'll let the doctor decide if maybe just to kill it there. That'd be murder if that thing was just a few months older. Say amen right there. It's murder though it's not. How in the world do you get there as a nation? I think we have a nation that doesn't know much about Jesus. I mean, we're in the world. How in the world are we getting to where we're at in our country with, with all of the, and I understand, but all the infringements and all the over, and just all, everybody out is all corrupt. All of this, there's not much of Jesus going on. How do we get to where we're at in Canada, which, which will come to America, where a parent will get put in prison for talking truth? Anybody who's grown up on a farm knows more than anyone who works in government in the science department. In fact, I'll go ahead and make it even worse. Any animal that lives on the farm knows more. And if you don't believe me, y'all come and we'll watch. I'll tell you right now, they know better. And during deer season, here's some theology for you. There's a time in deer season called the rut. And that's whenever the bucks are chasing. You know what they're chasing? Not bucks. Everybody all right? And I'm talking they're dumb. They'll get hit by cars. They'll jump in the window of your house. Because they're after does, boys. And by the way, I'd feel real comfortable if you were after does and not bucks. Amen. How does that happen? I'm talking about a country that doesn't know who Jesus is. 
There's more churches. I mean, you go, maybe not in our specific area, although I drove downtown today and saw several buildings that have the name of a church on it. But there's more churches in most of our country than any other country in this world. The county where I'm from in, in, in West Virginia, there's more independent Baptist churches in that county almost than any county in America. There's only 3,000 people in the town uh, that we uh, lived in after we uh, got married. And I think there was like six good independent fundamental premillennial temperamental Baptist churches that you could attend and be happy with in that little town. The good thing about that is those members that cause trouble just stay for a little while, but then they come back a year or two later. <laughs> How in the world is it we have so many steeples and so much sin? I tell you why, it's because we've gotten away from making much about Jesus. I tell you what we need to do is resolve. Let's, in our generation, it still matters. The Word of God still matters in our generation. The King James Bible is still the preserved Word of God for English-speaking people. Inspired. Amen. Full of power. Not dead. Quick and alive. Don't blush, don't back up, and don't apologize for saying it. I got saved from a King James Bible. Say amen right there. It's not going to fall in my generation. You say, well, I don't think we're not going to go forward with that as a church. That's fine. I'll go preach somewhere else against this place with my King James Bible. Hymns. We ought not let hymns fall in our generation. I like what he said this morning. Take those old hymns and make something out of them. If the old hymns are dead, it's because you're dead as the singer. Say amen right there. Prayer meeting ought not fall in our generation. I can't wait to bring my son to prayer meeting. I want him to see it. I want him to be a part of it. I want him to kneel at an altar on a Saturday night and know what it is to seek God's face for Sunday morning. I want him to see those kind of things. He ought not fall in our generation. Revival ought not fall in our generation. You say, well, I don't believe it works. Of course not. You're not interested in it. But those of us who are, I still think it can work. You know, they used to say that in Wales, God can't send revival. Then God raised up Evan Roberts and sent revival. Can I say the same thing could happen in our generation? God is still interested in that. The bus ministry ought not be let to fall in our generation. I understand it's expensive, and it is, and they do take up a lot of parking places, but there's a lot of souls that ride to church on buses. Say amen right there. And if you want something easy, they get, they'll go somewhere. I mean, right now, I tell you, we need to reach souls with the gospel. We ought not let it fall in our generation. Sunday school ought not fall in our generation. That's a big deal. Other places are shutting her down. We want to crank it up. Yeah. Amen. amen. God, give us somebody who'll say, not in my generation, some mother who'll at least pray with your child, read the Bible, father with your children, not in my generation, not in my generation. In West Virginia, my grandparents always had a, had, a, had a garden. That garden's about an acre, was about an acre garden. Their house sat on the side of a hill just because everything is on a hill. But anyway, it was on the side of a hill, and that garden was down over the back on the hillside. And I always tease people, I have one leg shorter than the other. That's because I was born in West Virginia, and everywhere you walk, you're on the side of a hill. So it works out good there, horrible here. I think that's how I got hurt playing basketball. Anyhow, their garden was on the side of that hill, and I remember... Watching Papa, we call him Pap, Mamma, Papa. Papa will go down there and work in that garden, and Mamma will go out there. And boy, we hated going to their house in the summer because we had to string beans. You ever heard of that before? And shuck corn, and then in the fall, dig potatoes. I'm talking about slave labor. I like it a lot easier when the grocery store just produces those things. But they would take those, and I remember Papa would sit on his back deck with his uh, 22 Magnum and, and shoot any kind of animal that tried to eat his vegetables. And don't look at me funny, it's America. <clears throat> so we were down, I remember going to his, they have a cellar. You ever been in a cellar before? They would take these vegetables and they would can it. Anybody know what canning is? That's a dangerous thing. 
pressurize these things, put them in a can. And what you do is you take those vegetables or whatever it is, put it in that can. And I don't know how you do it, but it vacuum seals itself in there and it preserves it. And you can open up things that have been canned like 100 years later and eat it and probably survive and be, be good. But they'd can everything. My grandparents passed away. Both of them, my brother, moved into their house. He bought their house. And he and his wife had their first baby in that house and was raising her there. And I went to go eat lunch with them one day when I was traveling. I stopped by and we had lunch. And my brother's name's AJ. AJ went down into the cellar and he got some green beans in a can. And he cut those green beans, opened the can. You could hear it open and put it down in the pot and they made those green beans. And we sat there and ate those green beans. And I watched as I ate those green beans and his wife <coughs> and my brother and then their little two-year-old daughter. Now, Audrey, his little girl, had never even met Mamma and Papaw because they died before she was wow. ever born. They died before she was ever even born. Mamma was, uh, was about to pass away when Amanda, his wife, was pregnant with Audrey. And I sat there and watched that and I thought, you know what she's doing? Yep. She's getting to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Because they had enough foresight to preserve it in their day. So that we could crack it open and enjoy it in our day. And can I tell you tonight, the reason we've been able to crack this thing open on the first Sunday 2022 and enjoy it. Yep. It's because there's been generations before us that had enough foresight to say, you know what, we've got to preserve these good things. We've got to fight for it in our generation. So that our children and grandchildren can have it in theirs. I'm interested in God doing something today, but I sure am worried about what God's going to do tomorrow. And I want God to, if Jesus doesn't come back, I want God to be just as rich and real and church to be just as vibrant for my son as it is for us. But somebody's going to have to say, you know what, not in my generation. I'm not going to let it fall. I'm going to pray the altar be open. If God spoke to your heart, would you come spend some time tonight? Maybe a good time to pray with your children or pray with your spouse and just say, you know what, in our home, let's not let it fall. In our Sunday school, and let's not let it fall. In our, in our generation, not in my generation, we're going to make much of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.